Hi, welcome to another episode of Random Movie Night, uh, a podcast in which you listen to a movie chosen by a random number generator. Uh, the you know the, the the best way to choose your movie. Uh, my name is Keith Phipps. I'm here with Mike Ryan. Hello, Mike. Hello. And we have a special guest, um, Alan Steppenwall from Rolling Stone magazine, uh, and our, our former coworker at, at a publication called Uprocks, where we all worked at one point or another. Hello, Alan. Hey guys, it's a reunion. Yes, it is a reunion um, to talk about Black Sheep, a film released in 1996. It was the 50th most popular film of 1996. We talked about this a little in the last episode when we when we when we found out what we were, what we were watching. But um, it is our it's the 50 is the bottom of our random number generator scale. Uh, so anything lower than this, we would not watch. Which means uh, films that it, it outgrossed by a little bit included uh, Eddie, starring Whoopi Goldberg. And uh, Rumble in the Bronx, starring Jackie Chan. Uh, it made slightly less money than Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco, and Daylight. And, and I, I think it struck me this was a bigger hit. It seemed like it was a bigger deal at the time. Am, am I wrong about that? Or is it just because it's on cable all the time? I feel like maybe just because we're thinking, like, Tommy Boy was a hit, we assume that this one was too. But it's not like the guys made a third of these movies, right? No. Uh, well, that there's probably reasons for that. Uh, well, yeah, there's that too. Yeah, um, it was uh, it was another attempt to I mean, it's a Lauren Michaels production and it's another attempt to turn, you know, make a movie around Chris Farley, but specifically Chris Farley and David Spade. Um, I think my feeling is that Tommy Boy was a bigger hit than people thought it was going to be, which is why we got this one. Um, I, I, you know, I never want to just depend on Wikipedia for information, but but I believe this film happened in part because. You know, it was kind of rushed into production to, while, while Chris Farley was still under contract to make another movie, and that's how we ended up with uh, with uh, Black Sheep. But um, I, Tommy Boy is a movie I know I've seen. I said this last episode too, but I know I've seen every scene of it. I don't know if I ever watched it in order. Uh, what do you guys? What's your guys' take on that movie? I like Tommy Boy. I, I I'm not saying it's you know uh, one one of the uh, uh, cinematic canons. But uh, I don't know. It's fine. Like, there's something about Farley now that it's like it. He's hard not to take your eyes off of, and it's it's tragic. And he's but he's still funny. And and I I found myself even enjoying this one, even though it's lesser Tommy Boy because it's Chris Farley, and he you just want to hug him. I don't know. Does that make sense? It was easy to take him for granted back then. I think because he's I've so never few seen movies. Tommy Boy. Really? I've seen the fat guy in a little coat scene just because that's everywhere all over the internet a lot. But the movie in its entirety I've never seen and I had never seen this one before either. My my sense is that this, you know, it's kind of like Mike said, this is Tommy Boy but lesser. Um, and I'm not sure that's a huge, you know, Tommy Boy, I don't hold in such great esteem that it's like a huge step <laughs> down. But um, I think Tommy Boy has a little bit more of a structured plot than this one. <laughs> Um, I mean, Tommy Boy, (laughs) uh, uh, his dad, played by Brian Dennehy, dies. And Mm -hmm. and then Tommy Boy, Tommy Callahan, has to take over his dad's company. What do you do? He he sold brakes. Is that right? I'm going from memory. I think he sold brake pads or something. So he has to, and the company's in dire straits, and he has to travel around. He's not, and his dad was a great salesman, and Tommy Boy isn't. And David Spade was kind of like high up in the company, so David Spade has to take you know, Tommy around and try to like keep all the customers and he starts getting good at it. That, that, that's basically it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a nice story. 
But it's sure, just, it's sure. just. I mean, yes, it's a vehicle for Spade and Farley to do their to do their thing, just like this one is. But I think there's a little bit better story than this one, where there's they're just literally in the woods for like an hour. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get to that. We can we can walk through it as it opens. Chris Farley is uh, Cam, Mike, who plays Mike Donnelly, who is canvassing for his um, gubernatorial candidate brother, Al Donnelly, played by Tim Matheson. Um, kind of Hal Philip Walker in Nashville style, just driving around in a van, uh, you know, with a loudspeaker, which I'm not sure is the most effective way anyway. But he's also not very good at it. There's like dogs chasing him, but it's never explained why. No. That's true. Uh, it's just it's just there for a gag. Like like a lot of stuff in this movie, I think it's just there because it could be a gag. But it's really not much of a gag. It's just dogs running after the, the truck. That's the problem I had with a lot of this movie is there's not really much setup thought into it. It's just let's come up with something where Farley is either going to yell, crash into things, or both. That's, uh, that's, that's Chris Farley. A, a bit I mean, about that, the pedigree. That, uh, it's written by Fred Wolf, um, who's kind of a, a comedy veteran, and it's, it's you know written for such places as the Pat Sajak show and and the Chevy Chase show, which is there's, there's a pedigree there. Um, but more recently, wrote Grown Ups, so he's kind of st- he stayed in the picture. Directed by Penelope Spheris, um, not long after after Wayne's World, uh, it was sort of her period of doing mainstream comedies. That I. There, she needs to have a. There needs to be a Penelope Spheris biopic because that is a fascinating life. Like her, her parents ran a, her, a circus. Uh, her mom is the uh, pocket pool lady in this movie, uh, the one who who accuses uh, is, is it Farley or Spade of playing Spade of playing pocket pool. Um, yeah. So that there's there is a you know, and she has those those documentaries. I don't. know. It's a fascinating life. She, she had a nice. A, she had a nice run in the '90s of movies. She had a run of movies uh, in the '90s of movies. I mean, there was there was Wayne's World, but there's also Beverly Hillbillies and and Little Rascals, which I think are probably held in less esteem than Wayne's World. I, I would assume, yes. But she's but a, Wayne's World. Wayne's Wayne's World alone. I mean, that's a massive hit. Wayne's World's great. Wayne's you know, World's... I mean, like you know, we live in an age where we 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 are shining a spotlight on uh, directors who are women. And and I think there's a lot of people who don't realize Wayne's World was directed by a woman. And I think Wayne's World is to what we owe a lot of this run of of Saturday Night Live spinoff um, films in the '90s and Saturday Night Live adjacent movies like this, which was produced by Lauren Michaels and stars a couple of Saturday Night Live vets. Um, and I don't, you know, I think it was kind of set a bar that the uh, other films, to put it politely, struggle to reach. Is that is that kind of your assessment as well? Yeah, I mean, there's basically Wayne's World and there's Blues Brothers, which was not really an official SNL production. Lauren was not involved with it and was kind of bitter about it. Um, so, but other than Wayne's World, is there a good like Lauren Michaels produced SNL related movie? Um, you know, I, I will say uh, there are people who would defend the Ladies Man. I haven't seen that one. I, I I should probably see that before before passing judgment. Well, but I mean, well, you never know; it could be next. Yeah, that's true. I I um I have seen Superstar. It's not very good. I you know Stuart says its family is is better than people. Um, well, MacGruber for at the time. People love MacGruber. Yeah, MacGruber. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. All MacGruber. right, MacGruber. I will give you fair. Yes, and uh, not I don't know if this counts, but Hot Rod is. I'm also a fan of of Hot Rod. That seems like a very Lauren Michaels involvement. That seems pretty pretty light. You know what movie I strangely kind of like is Coneheads. 
An- another movie with Farley in it, kind of. But uh, I I don't think that movie is terrible. Okay, I've never. I can't. I did not see that one. Alan, how about you? Uh, Coneheads, I don't think I saw all the way through. I think I've seen parts of it on cable, though. But in terms of Spheris, uh, it just she does doesn't seem comfortable doing a lot of these big, elaborate slapstick set pieces. The you know, the best part of the, the liveliest part of the movie to me is when she's filming the Rock the Vote concert. Yeah, because it's like okay, I'm back in my element. I can do this, and you know those scenes, both when the band is playing and then when Farley goes on stage and it's cursing up a storm and causing a problem. Like that seemed the most relaxed that the entire film was it, uh, the rest of it is so sweaty it's really it's, sweaty sweaty i will, I will say that's it. the rock the vote scene my my uh, my favorite i think my favorite part in this movie was just hearing now for rock the vote mud honey <laughs> <laughs> it's the 90s man it is the 90s but it's it was funny mud honey out there rocking the vote come on that's great get out there and vote, guys. There they're, let's they're, do they're it the, we got an election coming up it's a good election movie. Maybe we should be telling people to watch this movie because it will get you inspired to maybe vote. It'll it's... get you inspired to believe that if you expose a scandal, you know, of a politician, something will actually happen as a result of it. <laughs> Not just that. If you expose a scandal, it can get wrapped up in literally 10 minutes. Like, hey, we got this proof. Uh, well, that's that. And then uh, everyone will turn on the, the, the dirty politician and it gets wrapped up immediately. Well, and before... you won't go to jail for, like, you know, stealing a police car and holding <laughs> someone at gunpoint, okay. even if they were your accomplice. Speaking of stealing a police car, I will it's... admit I laughed. Even though you knew it was coming, I laughed when they, uh, first of all, <laughs> yeah, they, they, well, they, they don't really steal a police car. They borrow it, but the police officer says, I'm going to report it stolen so I don't get in trouble. Um, yep. And and uh, some nitrous oxide starts leaking into the car, so they're slap happy, and they're just like, you know, let's just not get pulled over, and uh, so keep it at the speed limit, and then they get pulled over by another police officer. That scene made me laugh, because Farley's, like, actually, <laughs> you can tell he's kind of just going where he wants to go, and he's talking about how he can get it up to 150, and he's rambling on and on, but then he's like, but I bet I'm doing the speed, I'm doing around, I'd say 65, and... Okay, we all knew he was going slower than the speed limit, but when he when the when when it's revealed he's only doing seven, that made me laugh. <laughs> like, Do you the, know who the, plays the, his the, cop buddy, by the way. No, who is it? Oscar winner Grant Heslov, uh, George Clooney's writing and. Oh producer. yeah, I thought you meant the yes, yes, I knew that. I thought you meant uh, who pulled them over. No, no, the cop buddy who says I'm going to report it stolen. Yeah, we. This is our second Grant Heslov movie. Uh, he was well, also, first, he, he was also well, in the Scorpion King. Oh right, yes. So we 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 are we are slowly making our way through the works of Grant Heslov. It's it's a Heslov cast. That's that's what it that's what this is unofficially. We got Bruce McGill in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's a little Animal House reunion. Him and Matheson, I think, are in one scene together. Oh yeah, see, that's pretty good. Yeah, but, but I'm actually looking at the cast list right now, and it does say Mud Honey as themselves. Exactly. Well, we're getting we're jumping all over the place here, guys. So maybe we should we should walk through. Yeah, we don't want to confuse. I'm sorry, I don't mean to derail the like you know rigorously structured random movie night, guys. I apologize. (laughs) And our Uh, listeners are getting very confused about the plot of. I almost said Tommy Boy. The plot of Black Sheep. (laughs) How how could you confuse those movies? So basically, David Spade is a political operative um, working for Tim Matheson's campaign. Kind of right? Doesn't he like beg his way in at the beginning? He seems. 
think he's like a low level lackey who kind of talks himself into a into a better job of sorts, uh, babysitting Chris Farley. Uh, so he does not embarrass his brother during the campaign as as he has already done. Uh, and, you know, there's references to Roger Clinton and and Billy uh, Billy Carter um, and like some the rest of the Reagan family, which yeah. is a joke that I'm not sure right quite. Well. Um, but guys, remember when having embarrassing relatives could ruin your career in politics? Remember when anything could ruin your career in politics? I, I mean, do. That was a better time. We're so far into the twilight zone now that that the, the the you know the president calling out you know insulting a porn star he's had sex with um, is barely news. You know, by the time anyone hears this, like because this will probably not be released until maybe a week after we record this. Think of all the terrible things that are going to happen that people are <laughs> sitting there going. Oh, you don't know the half of it, guys. Uh, those are better times. Yeah, those President are better times when you were recording this. I wish I could go back to that period. <laughs> we were so much more innocent then. <laughs> but this movie does portray Chris Farley as just kind of a screw-up who, who who drinks beer. This is another thing, I guess, that's relevant. Um, and and But that, that could just derail the whole the whole campaign for governor because he's got a, he's got a, a, a brother who's a little bit of a screw-up. Not even a bad guy. Actually... It just keeps a getting framed. He actually just keeps getting framed for stuff. Right. I mean, he cares about the kids. He wants to help that one kid with football. And then when he, he doesn't cares about up, some it's... of the kids, remember when he's doing the touch football game, like he's great to half the team. And then the others, he's a real dick to. Yeah. And they leave in, in frustration, but the one kid, you know, he, he promises he'll help him with his football. And then we get that shot of the kid waiting for him at the football field as the sun sets and he's not there. I mean, it's really sad. I mean, it's not at all shoehorned in there. Oh, man. Yeah. This is, this is not the most well, well then they frame movie. him for, they frame him for literally burning down a, a, a children's home. Right. For burning down the rec center. They frame him for that. And he kind of has to, you know, go on the run of sorts and ends up in a cabin in the woods that, falls down and turns sideways and it's like and it's like this bargain basement version of, of charlie chaplin's the gold rush for a little bit there and it, none of that works i mean all, all that physical comedy is pretty awkward sweaty i'm gonna go back to, to alan's word it's pretty sweaty there's literally a yeah, boulder I... teetering on a hill that we know will one day soon hit this cabin there's not there's not very subtle setups throughout this movie like the whole nitrous thing is set up really early on um and then you know, Gary, that, Gary, don't forget the uh, the early appearance of Gary Busey before we get him later. That's true. I do like seeing Gary Busey. I think Gary Busey um, when he's threatening David Spade with a big grin on his face. That's that's pretty funny. I'll I'll, I'll that that one got me a little. Hey, bit. all right. Something made you laugh. Yeah. Well, not any. I'm not saying nothing makes you laugh, but something in this in this movie made you laugh. <laughs> um. Yeah. So then we get. We get them, you know, they're in the cabin. They do go into town for the Rock the Vote concert. And you get a little bit of Farley doing uh, what sounds like Matt, Fo you know, Matt Foley, motivational speaker, as, as he uh, yells at the various people while posing as, as a security guard. Those are Farley's brothers as the other security guards, by the way. And if you if, if you lived in Madison, you would you would see them around town, as, as I sometimes did. Yeah, that brother, was maybe the best thing I thought Farley did in the movie was when he was pulling a Matt Foley and playing the security guard. Because it's just like I know everybody loves, you know, fat man fall down and go boom. But unless that stuff he's set up much better than this movie had any interest in doing it, th those scenes just went on forever and were so lifeless. And at least there, when he's impersonating the security guy, 
there's an energy to it that a lot of this movie just doesn't have, regardless of the volume of it. You know what I kept thinking about, like the whole, especially during that scene. What would it be like if Chris Farley were still around? Like, what would his career be like today? Would it would it be good? Yeah, I'm thinking about that too. Because I mean, because he he has this youthful innocence, like that's that's his character in like pretty much everything. Where he's just like, oh shucks, and then falls down and does a pratfall. Like the all shucks would eventually go, have gone away. I'm just curious what his career would look like today. Like I wish, I, I wish, I wish we had the chance like to the see really it. The angry middle-aged guy whose life has not turned out the way he wanted it to. I I could see him doing that very easily. Okay. I think if he had the right person, yeah, directing him, you you could see him evolving into a more interesting performer. It's almost like we really don't have a big enough sample size because he's only starred in a, a, he only started in a few movies and you know within a span of a couple of years. So who knows what might have might have happened? Yeah, he'd be fifty four today, which is he still probably, pretty young, you know. Yeah, he'd probably be showing up in Sandler movies. Yes. Well, okay. Well, obviously the uh, uh, you mentioned Grown Ups. Obviously, the he he would have all the um, Kevin James roles, right? Yes. Those are all like written for Farley, weren't they? Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? Because everyone else is someone who like worked in that same office at SNL in the early nineties. Yeah, he would definitely be in a lot of Sandler movies. I mean, he already was, but he would he definitely will still be doing that. But I I would hope he wouldn't just be doing that. You know, like I. I I would hope he'd have more of a even a Sandler career where you know every now and then he shows up in a Noel Baumbach movie. I mean, I guess the best um, you know thing we we have to compare it to is what what did David Spade do with his career? And I guess uh, Spade's just such a different animal, though. You know, yeah, like he's the I don't know, he's the guy who just like wanted to hang out in L.A. and date women. You know, I mean that that's his persona. I mean, I'm putting it nicely, but it's like that seems to be his shtick and I don't think that would have been Farley's shtick. No. I mean, do do we like David Spade? I I I don't always, you know, I, I reflexively say no, but I mean, he will make me laugh from time to time. I think you have to use him very specifically and I don't think this movie does that. Uh, you know, what little I've seen of Tommy Boy seems a better use of Spade having disdain for Farley. Like he's kind of just in this movie to be in this movie. Um, right. Yeah. So um, unless you're giving him good material or he's writing it for himself. Uh, well, I don't even know. But, but before you say writing it for himself, I mean, he wrote Joe Dirt and he wrote Dickie Roberts, former child star. Sure. Uh, those are maybe not. <laughs> OK. But like when he came back to SNL to do Hollywood Minute to promote this movie and make fun of the fact that it's just a ripoff of Tommy Boy. I laughed more at that routine than I did at anything in this movie. That's fair. That's all I mean. I like Emperor's New Groove. How, how cool. many movies would these two have done together if 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 that would have continued? Probably more. I mean, you know, they, they you know, this this was a you know cable fixture for so long. It's got to have something to do with it. But yeah, do they go tough. on? Do they do dramas together? Do they do like a heartfelt? You know, I I, I I'm I'm not even saying that as like I'm joking. Like I would actually I'm curious really what they what they would have done because I'm they were best friends. Like, I think they would have just wanted to keep working together. But I, I do think it would have done. I think it would have been like uh, 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 Sandler. Like, I think I don't think they're going to be like, oh, let's let's team up and do a drama. Like, right. Oh, like, oh, we'll, we'll blow everyone away with this. But uh, yeah, you can't help but watch this and go like now that it's been so much time, you know, it's been this this movie is like crazily like 22 years old. Like, 
where would he be today? And, and it makes me sad. He, he was, I, I just think that Farley was just such a talent. Like, yeah. And, and I think he would have event, I'm, I'm at least hoping he would have found his true niche, you know, but who knows? Maybe we would have gotten, gotten a Matt Foley movie. That seems pretty likely, actually. Uh, yeah, I, 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 that seems about right, actually. Yeah. What was the character that he did on Weekend Update? Was it Bennett Brower, the guy who did the quote symbols and then always wound up <laughs> yeah. flying by the end of it? <laughs> was that his name, Bennett Brower? I think it was Bennett Brower. I'm going to look it up while we talk. But that's, I almost, li- I mean, Matt Foley was the first Yeah, you're Matt right, Foley Bennett sketch. Brower, yeah. I couldn't remember his name, but yeah. The sketch is amazing. Like a lot of SNL characters, they kept going back to it because everyone broke in the first one, and it was never as good as that that first sketch. Yeah, air quotes guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we would have had a Bennett Brower movie, I think. The whole movie, he just would have done that. I'm in. I I don't wash regularly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah. I miss him. I miss him. I miss, yeah. I miss Farley. He, it, it was, you know, I'm, I'm sure that it's like this for everyone that's, everyone has their version of this, you know, whatever generation you're in. Uh, I'm sure, because, I mean, I was a little kid when Belushi died, but like, I'm sure people who are, you know, in their 20s when Belushi died, it still probably doesn't feel like it's been that long, you know? But like, it doesn't feel like he's been gone that long. You still watch this. It's like, yeah, yeah Farley. There he is, full of life. It's it It's strange, like. I kind of feel the same way about Phil Hartman too. Like yeah. it, that, it, it's crazy how long he's been gone too. Like he doesn't see, he still seems like he's around. Does that, does that make any sense what I'm saying? Or does it seem like forever? No, no I mean, my it, daughter and I are going back and watching the Simpsons from the beginning. And anytime they do like a Lionel Hutz or a Troy McClure episode, it, it hits me hard. And there's, there's like, well, I mean, you know, Farley was his own thing and, and would, you know, you know, there's really only a few Chris Farley type roles, but like Hartman, you, you see all these things like, oh, Phil Hartman would have been great in that, you know, he would have fit right into, into that, into that cast, you know, think about like what, what he would have done after news radio. Cause he, he was so good on that show as well. I mean, it's, it's, that's a huge, it's a huge loss. And I remember like, you know, Phil's last thing on the show was him doing a song like, and it winds up being a lullaby where Farley falls asleep in his lap. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's, 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 it's actually tough now. to watch. Yeah, like it's it is. Yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking. Yeah. And like that both these guys are going to be gone within the next five years. Yeah, but I mean, when when we speculate, I just kind of wonder, because I remember from the interviews he did, um, he just never seemed like like he wanted to do anything other than what he was doing on SNL and what he was doing in the handful of movies he got to do. Um, I, I just I don't know that he would have said I want to work with Paul Thomas Anderson or Noah Baumbach or you know or even Judd Apatow in something like Funny People the way that Sandler at least occasionally has. Yeah, you know, um, it's easy to rip on a lot of Sandler movies, but Sandler does every now and then come back to do something interesting. Well, he can be and Sandler, he can be great too. Like Meyerowitz stories, it's like you know you can just write him off, and then he's just something like Meyerowitz stories in which. I mean, he's really good and giving this really complex, layered performance like that no one else. I can't imagine anyone else actually working in that part. And yeah, it's it's you can't you can't write it off. I mean, you know, you just have to have a lot of these. You have to have a certain amount of discipline just to entertain at the level they did to reach Saturday Night Live in some ways. And and I I don't know that I don't know if Farley would have found another gear to go into or not. I, I you know obviously we would have loved to have found out. Yeah. So you don't you don't think there's a punch drunk love in in Farley's future. 
I mean, who knows? I, I mean, mean, someone could have approached him and said, hey, I would love to, like, you know, change the way people look at you. I just don't know that he would have been interested in that. That's all. He was 33 when he died. I'm going, that's just, just going by memory. I, I think I think it was, like, the big thing. that He was the same age as Belushi. But um, he was going to have to start making that decision pretty quickly. But I still think 33 is young enough where it's, like, you can still be in that mode of, like, hey, I'm just having a good time. I think in the next two or three years you got to figure it out. But I think he died before that time like i think he still had time to like make that decision like i I, he could have still he could still be in i just want to have fun mode like well movie wise if if he wanted to be at that age i think i don't know this is all speculation i guess it doesn't matter i'm just bummed out he's gone well i mean the other things that that this is this is um something else i learned researching this is that he was locked into this, but two things he could have been in were The Cable Guy and Kingpin. And you can see him working in both of those movies really well, especially Kingpin. I mean, I think Randy Quaid's great in, in, in Kingpin, but um, which is a movie I'm very fond of, um, and I'm not sure quite got its due. But uh, Farley in that part, as you know, the Amish is the Amish bullying prodigy. That that's that's a lock. That that works. I think. Was he the Jim Carrey role in Cable Guy? Presumably. Oh, interesting. That's a very different movie. That's yeah. a very different movie. Yeah, because I don't know huh. if he can go that dark. As I'm not sure the movie. I don't. I'm not sure the movie would have gone that dark though with with him in it because I think that movie kind of evolved as or, more people or got would involved. Would he have been Matthew Broderick? Could have. What do you been? I don't think so. I, I, I don't I mean, know. I, I, I don't know. But like, like that makes less sense. Huh. All right. This is you've broke my brain a little bit here, Keith. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm here for. Wow. But the whole podcast is here for. Yeah, to break to break brains. That's what we do. Hashtag break brains. Yeah, that's our that's our subhead. Random movie <laughs> night break brain. So uh, what if you, all right. what if you tweeted us with hashtag break brain? <laughs> yeah. If, if if anyone's still listening, just tweet at Alan break brain and he'll see it. <laughs> that's really not much of a prize, Mike. <laughs> I know. We well, have... I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, uh, give you a task. So, if you want to do sure. something, I'm not. I'm not going to make you do anything. Well, it's been like a half an hour since we actually talked about the movie, so I would be very impressed if people are still listening. That's all, all the black sheep fans out there that are like, "Oh man, finally, there's a black sheep <laughs> podcast for us." And then we go off. We go off track and start talking about uh, the legacy of Chris Farley. Yeah, I'd, I'd stop listening too. I'd want. I'd want only focus on the black sheep plot. <laughs> Speaking of uh, that, I, I do, I, before we end, I do want to talk about the ending. Like, I want to go yeah, over Yeah, I was going to say, I, I like to think that we've, we've gone, um, you know, on interesting tangents. Maybe not. Who knows? But um, <laughs> but we should well, before probably... before we added you, uh, uh, Alan and I were talking about the Commodore 64 and VIC-20. So at least we didn't do that live until right now. Nicely done, Mike. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so that would have been a tangent I'm not sure people would stick around for. Say, say that for another podcast. Yeah, the, well, our Vic Twenty podcast we do on the side. So voter fraud, guys. It's bad, and we and we learn about it in this film. <laughs> that, oh. um, okay. You know, yes. Yeah, so, you know what this movie made me realize? We need more stringent voter ID laws. <laughs> uh, I think that's maybe the wrong takeaway from from this movie. I do like that it goes out of its way not to establish who's a Democrat and who's a Republican in, in this uh, in this scenario. It's not even really coded uh, in, in one way or another. Yeah, I, they, they, that's never mentioned. That would never. I don't know if you can get away with that today. You'd have to. You'd have to make a, a choice. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, just the fact that you know 
Rock the Vote seems to be support, you know, a a pro Tim Matheson event, maybe pro Tim a little bit as a Democrat, but Farley was a Farley was a big Republican, so I don't I don't know that that was necessarily on his agenda supporting what, that. A little... Yeah, yeah, that's that that's a scuttlebutt around Madison, Wisconsin. Anyway, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, to be fair, I feel that meant something different twenty. Years oh yeah, ago. yeah. I mean, I'm not saying I was on board with that in 1996, but it wasn't. It wasn't the MAGA uh, Republican Party that it is now. Right. He liked he liked George H.W. Bush, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Christine Ebersole's character seems a little bit like make Washington great again, though. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I, I wonder why this is filmed in Washington. It's maybe just got a tax break or something. But but it may, I, there is so much of the, you know, cool Seattleness of it that it seems they're a little late to the party. But maybe it's sort of a 90s thing that's set in Washington State and partially in Seattle. Well, you don't get mud honey. You don't get mud honey. <laughs> mud start... honey does not travel. Mud they honey does, they yeah. are legally banned from leaving the state of Washington, just like the Duke boys could not leave Hazard County. So if you want mud honey, you're filming in Washington. That's the way it works. Yeah, you know, no, no, no disrespect to mud honey though. They they kept it together. I mean, they and Pearl Jam are pretty much the only ones. Mud honey, by the way, it was just funny to see mud honey show up in this movie. Like they're like, this is our big break. Like we uh, we we were on the single soundtrack. And now, now we're in Black Sheep. Uh, it's always interesting when, when a band shows up in, in a big deal bit and then doesn't go on to anything. I, I think it's the movie Higher Education, which has a big Eve's Plum concert sequence. <laughs> Eve's Plum? <laughs> remember Eve's... Eve's Plum? No. You're talking about Eve's No, no one six? remembers. What's that? Are you talking about Eve's Six? No, Eve's Plum. It was like a college rock thing that never took off. But I believe they're in the movie... Higher Education, uh, if you'll recall, the movie that invited us to unlearn what we had learned. So, so uh, Farley realizes that um, they're going th- on the election results broadcast. They're going county by county and showing the votes, which is you know very um, uh, 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 detailed. But he notices on one county vote tally, there's more, there's less people that live in that county than votes that were cast. You'd think True. now. Now that doesn't seem like well thought through by the other campaign. Like you'd think someone's going to notice that pretty quickly. It, it's a big slip up for sure. Yeah, this was the '90s. There were still functional newspapers back then, right? So Farley decides I'm going to hold a gun to David Spade's head so that I'm allowed to speak in front of um, the the winning governor's uh, uh, um, victory speech. And it it kind of gets grim because uh, there's like um, the governor's security is going to like take out Farley. But then Gary Busey shows up to make sure that doesn't happen. That's just it's, it's a strange thing, right? Like all of a sudden it's it like it's, it's like there's this there's this uh, showdown. And then Farley finally announces he has proof that um, his brother's opponent cheated. And here's the proof. And it's wrapped up within five minutes. They basically say, yeah, you're right. She cheated. Uh, uh, Tim Matheson wins. Yeah, and Bruce McGill just turns against her because he doesn't like her. You know, he throws his whole career away in the process. Yeah, because she asks him, there must be an explanation. He just goes, yeah, you made us do it. And that was that. (laughs) And and then we get – and then – Chris Farley sexually assaults Christine Ebersole. Um, and Which is hilarious, by the way. So funny. Sexual mm, assault jokes. It, it, yeah. it is a... Uh, okay. Well, uh, 
a podium falls on Chris Farley, and 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 so it it it, it he falls on top of her. It's it, it's a bad scene, but he doesn't actually assault her, right? Like it's it's no, it's just made to look made like to look. he is, yeah. and yeah. that's it, the joke, folks. Yeah, it's yet another moment in which uh, he embarrasses himself on camera, and the movie. The movie ends, the last time we see this character for the rest of our lives is him stuck on the side of a plane that mm-hmm. he just took off. It's like, like the I Mission Impossible Fallout. Like he, he probably scene, dies. You know, years before. I think, I think you're right, Mike. I think, I think a rogue nation, it. sorry. After the credits, uh, Mike Donnelly uh, dies. Rest in peace, Mike Donnelly, who died from <laughs> <laughs> suffocation. From Exposure. From at at 30,000 feet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like so, right, so here's the thing, and maybe maybe I'm unfairly applying like too rigorous a standard to a Chris Farley David Spade joint, but I feel like this the kind of punishment that he suffers throughout this movie, the character has to be like in some way deserving of it for it to be funny, and he's not. As as Keith said, he's a nice guy who works at a rec center and cares about these kids. Yeah. And he's constantly getting his brains beaten. He's being assaulted by bats, you know, uh, hail, everything. He gets stuck on the outside of the plane. And what? why? Why is this meant to be funny other than, again, fat man fall down and go boom? As we said, he literally, he, after the credits rolls, he dies. Like, I, I, there's no way that plane notices he's out there. I think he dies. <laughs> Uh, here is another uh, a fact about about this film I have I have unearthed is that uh, neither Siskel nor Ebert liked it, but Siskel said admitted he was one of it's one of only three films he ever walked out on. He hated it that much. What scene do you think, I think, I think, think that's he walked stretch. out during? I don't know. If you I had mean, to guess. Would it be? I fu- imagine. I would it be seen... funny if it was the plane scene? How dare they kill him off after all this? And <laughs> I'm out of here. Enough is enough. I didn't realize that was the last scene. I, I would assume it was fairly early on. I, I don't know. It it does seem a little bit of an overreaction. I mean, I've seen movies. Well, I've seen much worse movies than this. Let's just put it that way. But also movies that, that made me, you know, that, that felt hard to watch. This felt very easy to watch, frankly. It's just kind of, uh, kind of a brainless film that goes down fairly. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like, it, it's, it's a oh no. short movie. It's 87 minutes long, which is fine. And seven of those minutes, I think, are credits. It's really like an hour and 20. Right. I'm going to guess this school walked out during the bat scene. The aforementioned bat scene you mentioned. Mm. I I have a feeling it was during that, because that one goes on a bit. That does go on a very long time. And I I think, you know... This movie is 80 minutes without the credits, and um, they spent 10 minutes trying to catch a bat. Like they really had to pad this movie. Well, one thing you learn about if you you know if you learn about bats is that they do not get in people's hairs, uh, hair. You know, so that this is this is a this is a setback in human bat relations. This film. Ugh. There's your quote. A true setback. That should be on the that should be on the post. Hashtag break brain. Break brain. Hashtag break brain. That seems like a good place. Again, to this so, is this is the offer we we give you, listener. You tweet break brain at Alan, and he will see it. <laughs> well, I will. That may be all we need to say about Black Sheep. I think we can close the book on it and, and probably never think about this film again. Um, I think, but... yeah, I think, I think we're done with that for our lives, right? Like, this is probably the last discussion we'll ever have about Black Sheep in our entire lives. Like, let's well, take that in for a second. Probably. So guys, There's... based based on what I've said about the movie, should I make an effort to watch Tommy Boy in its entirety? 
I, I'm saying yes, because if you sat through this one, I think Tommy Boy actually has like a heart to it. I mean, there's something, I mean, there's a reason people like it. Like, it's not great, but it is, there, there, there is heart in, in it. It, it, it's, I don't know. There's something about it that's sweet and nice. And it's, it's like, it's the one that would give you hope that Farley would have gone on to do a lot of interesting things. Yeah, it's better than this, but I don't know. It, it's <laughs> actually seeking it out. Like I tried to, to do this nice, nice uh, breakdown of that movie, and you're like, eh, "It's better than this." <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, we Alan, go... watch Tommy Boy. I, I think I think you'll not hate it. Well, maybe maybe it's our next movie. Maybe it's and we bring Alan back to watch it. What 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 does the uh, what does the machine tell us? Oh, the machine. Okay, let's uh. Let's uh, run the year. It's so funny because Alan finally comes on the show and he gets black sheep. Yeah. Well, uh, but it could have been whatever's next. So let's see what's next. Maybe it's worse. We are going back to 1981. And we Cut. will be watching the 32nd highest grossing movie from 1981, which is, which is Escape from New York. Okay. Oh, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> are you kidding me? I don't you think can, have a guest lined up yet, though. If you, you want to come, you back. Want to come back, the uh, the offer is open. Wow, wow, random number generator. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but thank you for joining us for Black Sheep, Alan. And uh, oh, we'll, oh, we'll be back pleasure. with Escape from New York next time. <laughs> <laughs> I should have held a, out. I should have held out. I was like. Well, Alan, you could do Green Card or you can do Black Sheep. And I'm like, well, I guess Black Sheep is the better choice there. But, <sighs> well, right. you know, you can't win them all. <laughs> I really can't this week. It's true. You can't. Uh, but I got to uh, hang with you guys, which was nice. But you can win at Music for Podcasts. Because that's a good album that features our intro and outro music by Leo Rosevier. Um, and I want to thank Dan Jakes for his production and uh, technical assistance. Uh, I've been – well, let's, let's, say, let's say who we are. My name is Keith Phipps. You can find me on Twitter at kphipps3000. I'm a freelance writer. I write for such publications as Vulture and Rolling Stone and The Ringer and Slate and all kinds of good places. How about you, Mike? I don't like self-promotion. How 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 often have I had to ignore this part of the podcast? Right. Mike, Mike Ryan is an anonymous person. I'm just here. I don't do anything. I'm just here. You, you uh, just show uh, pictures of Gerard Butler. Yeah, to Gerard I, Butler. I tweet, <laughs> tweet and sh- tweet, tweet pictures of Gerard Butler and then show them to him. That's that is my job. Alan, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Rolling Stone. You can find me on Twitter at Seppenwall. I've got a book coming out in January called The Soprano Sessions uh, for the 20th anniversary of that show, which is available for pre-order now. And, you know, I'm usually a pretty modest guy, but I think this is a really great book. So Good. Oh, yeah, well, I'm, yes. I'm excited if, about it. If you tweet Break Brain at Alan, you get 10 free books. How about that? <laughs> hey! <laughs> 10. <laughs> I am even sure the author gets my Abrams, my publisher, so I cannot promise ten free books. Ah, oh, shoot. Well, we'll go back to the other one. You'll he'll, you'll just see the tweet. That's good enough. Okay, because, that I can promise. Okay. Technically, if you tweet anything at Alan, he will see the tweet though, so that's not that great. Well, anyway, we're going to wind things down. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. 